we have that opportunity to just passionately interject positivity to squelch all of that that feeling of isolation and and just letting our brain cycle through that just junk just that dark tar it's nasty you're listening to the mental health download from the nonprofit mental health association oklahoma i'm matt gleason today our guest is christy k boone Christy is from Oklahoma City, but she's kindly come to Tulsa to record this episode in our humble studio. Christy's primary passion is teaching others how to communicate with empathy and authenticity in a digital age. Christy is also a professional improviser, actor, writer, and badass. I added the badass part to her bio. On this episode, Christy's going to explain how improv soothes anxiety and builds resilience something we could all definitely benefit from. She's also going to give you tips on how to be a better coworker by realizing that the secret of thriving in any workplace is compassion. But that's a lot easier said than done. So Christy has an amazing two-hour connectivation training she's offered to businesses of various sizes and even nonprofits like Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I can tell you that during her connectivation training here at the association, Christy highlighted areas in which our staff could interject improv to improve their work lives and beyond. I've never heard our staff rave more about an all-staff training than they did for Christy's. And I'm super excited. Christy's going to be presenting a 90-minute version of her connectivation training at our Zero Mental Health Symposium coming up October 3rd and 4th here in Tulsa. This year's theme is resilience, recovery, rethink mental health, and Christy's training fits perfectly into that theme. That all being said, welcome, Christy, to the Mental Health Download. Thanks, Matt. I'm glad to be here. It's always always fun to talk right after somebody says super nice things about you. <laughs> okay, so first off, can you explain what the inspiration was for Connectivation? Connectivation is a name that I created out of connection through innovation. And I had been involved in corporate work as well as being a mom and volunteer and community advocate for quite some time. And when I had an opportunity to train in improv starting six years ago, I became obsessed with it. And I was doing all different types of trainings, even nationwide. I didn't just train here uh, and included even musical improv. And I made great friends. And through that, I realized there was an opportunity to kind of blend my corporate experience with my improv experience and extend the same feeling that I was becoming obsessed with having within the improv community, which is acceptance and true connection and collaboration and this incredible trust that we were able to build to create these environments on stage and make people laugh or make people sigh or make people cry, whatever. And so, yeah, Connectivation was just birthed through wanting people in all areas of life to feel that level of acceptance. Whereas in the corporate environment, I had noticed that I was really just trying to achieve my next goal and I was still extending some of the natural, you know, kind of empathic communication, but I didn't have a word to to transfer that to other people to explain how I was able to collaborate among departments or establish partnerships as easily as I can through the Connectivation series. I'm really curious, what was your first job? 
my very, very first job, I was a sophomore. I did this for a sophomore college at Oklahoma Christian University. And I worked at the Hilton Inn Northwest as a front desk clerk. So that was my first real job. And I did that for... 12 months, I think. I ended up kind of loving it. I got to meet these really great people from all over the world. There was a gentleman who was recruiting me for his aviation company to be his personal assistant. And he was like, you could travel the world and I'll pay for your school and clothes. And then my boyfriend, my ex-husband and my daughter's dad was like, um, what if he takes you to Australia and just leaves you there because <laughs> you don't fulfill other expectations? And I was so naive. I was like, that actually never even crossed my mind. <laughs> so I didn't go. I stayed here. I'm still in Oklahoma and I love it. So... <laughs> We're very glad you are. Um, if you could go to that Hilton and do a connectivation training for young Christy K. Boone and her co-workers, how would that go? What improvements would you hope you could make in that workplace? That's a great question. When One of the things I loved about the front desk is I didn't, I grew up with a dad who very much empowered me. So my stepdad who raised me and even my biological father, I mean, Definitely he's suffered some severe mental health issues and different things, but he's always been a super supportive dad. But my stepdad raised me to be, um, like he taught me golf from fifth grade on and taught me how to shake hands properly. And I got to hang out with him and, you know, his other business people or whatever in oil industry. And I just felt, I felt strong around him. And so I didn't feel intimidated when people had issues. I just felt obligated to resolve the issues. And it was very natural for me to work with them and to feel what they were feeling because of, you know, the empathy side and then find a solution and feel empowered to do so. But not everybody on staff felt that way, even though we had a pretty close-knit staff. And what I think would be cool to do with the connectivation pieces is to take that into a front desk, bell staff, management, sales environment for that specific location and just have fun together and celebrate the unique ways we are all able to come to new solutions with these interactive exercises and playfulness. And then um, also just to realize that it's okay to laugh and to enjoy the work. Uh, and then just let people walk away feeling more valued and heard and then giving people the tools to, to constantly look for new ways to hear and value others. So Christy, do you think connectivation can work in those environments where maybe the leadership isn't as open to kind of breaking the mold of what a traditional workplace can be? Also amazing question. Yes, I, I do feel that my service is such an easy one to say, mm, we don't really need to spend the dollars on that. We're getting our work done. And there are companies who are completely fine replacing a person with another person who will execute the tasks. I just believe, and I feel like you and I have recently had this conversation, I think it was a question you asked me not too long ago, with the millennial uprising and people understanding intrinsically a little bit more, more of their intrinsic value than just their book value, right? The way that society is shifting is people are being forced to look at people as people and not just as somebody to sit in a desk and to execute tasks to get them done. So even if organizations are the last to kind of make that shift, they'll still ultimately have to make that shift or they won't have anybody still working for them. 
maybe they will, but they're slowly just going to dwindle in size. If you look at beasts like Google or Amazon, like they get it. They have a culture that allows people to create and to play and to enjoy their work as well as doing the output that they have to do. And those are intense environments, especially on the programming side. You're not looking at people who are just superfluously coming to work and going, I just want to play. They just know they have that kind of environment and they also respect one another and all the brain power they're collectively bringing together and they're creating a better product. So even though those people feel stiff and like, yes, I have this engine, it runs smoothly. Why would you even come in here? Maybe you'll disrupt something. They may work even for another 10 years, but at some point, I really believe that they'll start shrinking in size and they'll just not be as powerful as they could have been. Just because something works doesn't mean you don't have to try to like look ahead at how you could be more innovative. <laughs> okay. As Someone who has personally gone through your training, I can tell you that the exercise you call heat and weight made me squirm as I sat knee to knee with a woman as you made a stare into each other's eyes for seemingly ever. But, you know, uh, now that I think about it, there was so much power in doing that. So tell us why heat and weight is one of your favorite exercises. I really, 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 really love that exercise. I, if I would say it's my absolute favorite, <laughs> not even just one of my favorites. And I remember doing that for the first time in improv and I had my own moment of thinking, oh my goodness, all I'm doing is just running around and, and accomplishing goals and making sure that I get to do something to help the next person get the next thing that they need or um, making sure that I'm taking care of my daughter or whatever that looks like. And I wasn't even taking time to really pay attention. And I remember doing the exercise and thinking, I've never even noticed that this person has a freckle on their face or that their eyelashes were so long, like just random stuff. And it really stuck to me. So one of the ways I, I work to make it still a safe exercise is getting permission, of course, to close the gap on, um, on physical space. Two, letting people be somebody else in their minds when they're projecting kind of emotions and relationship onto their partner. Um, so it's kind of like not them doing it as much as a character that they're playing. Uh, three, to give people the time to be in that moment. And you said it feel, felt like forever. That's only 30 seconds. And it helps people realize in 30 seconds, look how much you're able to take in about somebody. And we're not doing that on a daily basis. If we're with somebody longer than a minute, generally we're looking at our phone or we're thinking about our next task. We're not truly there and paying attention. And so taking a moment to realize that we also sometimes project our own days and our own emotions on other people without truly taking a moment to take in what they're giving us as themselves and not what we think they are or what we feel in that moment. So Christy, have you gotten any sort of testimonials from people who said that exercise really kind of changed the way that they saw someone they work with? So on that exercise, I will get more, they just didn't realize how uncomfortable it was to spend that much time paying attention to someone, which made them realize how little they were. The overall workshop, 
conclusion, generally I'll get comments like, uh, Bob has been here for 15 years and I didn't even know he talked. He's hilarious. Or, hey, if I see them, you know, weeks later, I check back in to the people who booked them, uh, booked the workshops, they'll say, we are still using inside jokes. And sometimes if somebody's having a rough time, we're just, you know, we kind of come up with a way to just work together to not just let them go through their day feeling like that, but we're more aware. And I love that. I think that that's just an incredible thing to know that the just the impact of even two hours sometimes has the ability to affect a culture long term, even a year or two down the road. And people get to just feel better about not just one another, but themselves and to feel like they have a safer environment. One of the things you mention in your connectivation training is, and, and this is something I love, is really seeing someone for our shared humanity. And that's exactly a sentiment shared by a campaign that we have going on here at Mental Health Association Oklahoma. As you know, uh, the See Me campaign is challenging people to see others not for the stigmatizing labels that society loves to put on people. Horrible things like the mentally ill, the addicts, the convicts, and the homeless. Instead, you know, we want people to see others for the amazing people that they really are. So with that all in mind, how do you want people in your workplace and beyond to see you? That was a really good campaign. Um, So I feel, I mean, you've spent some time around me, so you kind of see maybe how certain people interact with me. Um, I, I have a really diverse background in that I was raised around successful business people, but I also had a mom with severe addictions. Um, and she was, you know, based on just being broken herself was really abusive. And in ways that, you know, I've, I've had a good 10 years of therapy working through it. Um, and it's still, it's still, I feel it, but I love her. And especially as a woman, I can look at her and, and just feel really hurt on her behalf that she never had a chance to, to heal. Um, my biological father was uh, on the tail end of Vietnam and Panama in a special sniper unit in the Marine Corps and has suffered from PTSD as well as paranoid schizophrenia before that and bipolar disorder and um, psychotic disorder. He had a full break in his 30s. And um, so he's been often on the streets um, past that point. So for about 20 years now, and we haven't even seen him in person uh, for over 20. So people, I think, just based on societal expectations, might look at me as being tall and a female and looking a certain way and think, and I've had this actually said to me that, oh, well, your life is so perfect um, and not taking time to really understand on a daily basis. Sometimes my biggest success that day might be brushing my teeth. <laughs> I'm not crushing it all the time. I don't have things handed to me. I definitely am grateful for having experiences and having great relationships with strong human beings and having put so much hard work into so much hard work into my life, especially as a single mom for the you know past 15 years. My daughter was eight and I had her all the time when I got divorced 15 years ago. So um, I just want to be seen as a woman who loves people and who has her own struggles and who sometimes just cries herself to sleep at night. And it's not an easy, awesome world all the time, though I have had some incredible privileges. And I, I, again, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. 
we would encourage all the listeners to share how you want the world to see you. On any social platform that you've got, use hashtag see me and tell us how you want the world to see you. Because once we share those really powerful stories, we really can make a difference. Um, okay, so one of the things that you've talked about as kind of a learning objective is that people are going to walk away with ways to cope with anxiety and build resilience. So first off, let's talk about how does improv help people cope with anxiety? Well, one, you're able to create a safe environment and people get to explore just ways to laugh together and to see that failure isn't so hard and that the funniest moments are actually the failure moments, but nobody's being laughed at. They're all laughing and then people are joining them. And it's it's really interesting. I personally was the child who would hide for hours from everybody and read. And we've talked about that too, where it's like J.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, those were like my best friends for a long time when I was little. And if people tried to interact with me, I was really shy and um, I'd already encountered so much abuse by the time I was eight that I just thought everybody wanted to harm me. And so, um, and thankfully again, my stepdad being interjected into my life really made a huge difference. But um, I'm saying um a lot because this is, it's tying it into personal stuff too, to be able to answer it effectively. So I got a little nervous. Being able to provide an environment that's safe helps ease anxiety because then people realize they're collaborating with a group and they're not kind of this spectacle in the moment and they get to feel more acceptance and it just feels good. And it's really fun to watch and to facilitate as well. Nice. Um, you talk about that it helps build resilience. As we've talked about, resilience is kind of a word that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So what does resilience mean to you and how do you build it? I feel that resilience, if I just, if I think of a one sentence thing in my life, what it means, it means trusting myself. I have the power to keep moving forward in the deepest, darkest times. If I think of it as a concept to share with people, like at Zero speaking, it's more of uh, teaching everyone, individuals, and then doing the collective together, but each individual understanding that that moment is impermanent. So it's not the worst moment of their life. It's not the best moment of their life. It's just a moment of their life and to move forward. And that's actually principle that's a long-standing principle for centuries now. Um, but it's a moment in their life. And if they keep pushing through that moment, they are exercising resilience. And then the way we can help one another is by providing people the the opportunity and, and the permission to be resilient. Instead of celebrating their failures, find ways to celebrate just the smallest success that they had that day, not putting pressure on them to rock start out every hour. It's like, hey, if you put on a real clothes that day and that's your biggest success, celebrate that and know that that's your moment of resilience. And then the next day will be a little better. <laughs> All right, let's 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 talk about how this training breaks down barriers that silo people or groups. And, you know, what does that siloing do to someone's psyche, especially in the workplace? You know, this is interesting. And I, I didn't think about this when we talked about it in the, in the past, but I had a good probably year or two that I was so tired of being bullied that I decided to be a social bully. And I was 
unfortunately very, very good at it. And I remember a few of the people that had been affected. I actually, I went back to them later and apologized, but I remember feeling alone and isolated during the highest peaks of social bullying. And then I remember seeing the impact that mine had, but being calloused in that moment. And I was young. I mean, I was, um, and seeing that um, impact, but in that moment, not necessarily caring because I was already feeling so broken. It took a lot of my own work and and journey to kind of get through those things and, and just exercise goodness in the world instead of breaking people down because it's a horrible way to live. Um, but the the siloing itself, when, when you're that alone, to whatever your brain can conjure, whatever, you know, feelings in, in your brain body, that becomes the only reality. And and in that moment, there's no connection to another human being to actually help break that isolation. So it's devastating to your psyche. I mean, it's it's crippling. Um, and that's kind of why I really enjoy these workshops and the interactions with the employees and and anyone on a daily basis, even at convenience stores, because we have that opportunity to just passionately interject positivity to squelch all of that that feeling of isolation and and just letting our brain cycle through that just junk, just that dark tar. It's nasty. Okay, Christine. Now I, I want to pretend that two people have joined us here in the room and you're going to channel their best tips because you are huge fans of their work. So Daniel Coyle's here. He's the author of Culture Code. What Culture Code tips do you have for us in the workplace? Cool. So high five, Daniel. It was great meeting you at the Culture Summit when I presented and you spoke to the Tulsa Entrepreneur Group. You did great. Uh, P.S. He is a phenomenal speaker. Um, I really like his his concept and it's proven. It's science. It's what I've felt for a long time. But just that ultimately we have to survive on a daily basis. And if you go back to like primal survival and even take it to an animalistic perspective, you don't stand out from the pack, you are part of the pack. And I like his whole concept, which reinforces what I've been doing for several years with connectivation, which is create that safe environment. So I have a really great example of this. It's the strangest example, it just happened to me. Um, But there was somebody who kept coming up behind me and poking my sides recently. And I had asked stop and it happened three times and the whole group of people turned on that individual. He had changed the environment and the tone and I had said stop and like actually like very sternly said, no, it's not okay. And then the entire group made that not acceptable. And we have that power. But what happens is when people see that, they assume now that the authority has been transferred to that that decision. And if they feel intimidated or feel like that person might have more physical prowess or whatever, they back off and then they become part of that. That becomes the alpha moment, right? But we don't have to allow that to happen. We can set the norm of what's acceptable and just and and right. And that's a, a Daniel Coyle tip that I think is transcendent on all thoughts. And next up is Brene Brown. Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> Uh, so we'll wait for the selfies until later. But, uh, you know, what tips from Benet's daring to lead can improve our work lives? Oh, man, she's so amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing to just, like, 
I don't know, I would be thrilled to just spend an entire week shadowing her. <laughs> How do we make that happen? Listen, Brene, if you happen to listen to this. <laughs> and I got introduced to her by a friend of mine when I was 36, so almost 10 years ago. And it was the perfect timing in my life. And it was transformative because of uh, that was daring greatly and learning about shame and and having wholehearted living. And so daring or dare to lead, I love because it's an extension of all of that, but it's actually talking about her as a leader. And if we took her principles in that book and took it and applied it to the person you referenced earlier in our imaginary organization where they just plug people in to, to do tasks, but they don't really care about their emotional or mental well-being. They just want their tasks done. You know, with her, she extends vulnerability into leadership and, and says that when she is able to acknowledge that she's putting kind of ridiculous, I think she even used the word ridiculous in one of the examples, but ridiculous expectations on her staff and they kind of come back at her and have any type of, um, any type of negative reaction, she would feel defensive. And so then she would kind of push back on them and say, well, it's got to be done, so make it, make it happen. And then she started realizing, wait a minute, like, why am I being defensive? And she started her own journey with it and realized she was feeling defensive because she knew she had to get this thing done, then she's extending that to them, and then they're putting back, and she's like, well, now I have to double down because whatever, I, I wasn't equipped to handle that moment. And when she did that, she started being able to have real conversations and, and collectively coming together and saying, okay, these are things that need to happen. What is realistic in timeline? What is realistic in resource, uh, whatever resources that we might have? What is realistic in the workload that other people already have? And can we put that on top of them? Or do we need to consider somebody else coming in as support? And I just think that's really gorgeous to be able to stop as a leader and say, I'm not fully equipped to handle this. And I know this is the thing I want to happen, but let me defer to everyone to make sure that we come to a resolution together and we're not overly burdening anyone. That's one of my favorite things. Okay, Christy, we're almost out of time. So I want you to talk to that person listening to the podcast on their way to work, say. Give them some encouragement as they get ready for today, tomorrow, and every day after. Give them that special Christy K. Boone magic that reminds people to stay resilient. <laughs> well, if right now you're driving to work or you're listening to this at the gym or whatever it is, just and you're crushing it at life, I say keep crushing it. And even in a moment where you're not crushing it, just know that you still are or you will be soon. And make sure that you not only revel in your own successes in that moment, but you find ways today to celebrate with others, even in the smallest success, even if it's they, you know, got their Dr. Pepper and didn't drop it. <laughs> if you are struggling, you know, all of us have felt it. All of us have felt this struggle. I have some of the most incredibly successful friends on a global basis, and there are days that they just feel lonely and they don't know who really loves them. Sometimes people just want them for resources that they can get, right? Um, so if you're in your car and you're listening to this and you're just feeling it and you feel heavy, maybe you're starting on the brink of siloing and just you're tired of humans, just know that you truly are beautiful. You're absolutely gorgeous. And it doesn't matter if your clothes don't match today or your hair is disheveled or you 
didn't cut your mustache right and now half of it's gone and you're only, you know, sporting one half of a mustache or your mascara is running. Um, you're just incredible. So please take time today to celebrate yourself. And I was telling Matt last Friday that I have a thing that I read in a book and I wish I could remember the book. It may have been Jen Sincero, um, You're a Badass at Making Money. It's a cool book. It's not about the making money, by the way. It's just about loving yourself and, and understanding certain mechanisms that you may have built in that you didn't realize existed. Um, but it's just looking in the mirror and I just say, I love you, Christy K. Boone. So wherever you are, you can pull down your visor mirror, you can pull out your purse mirror, you can um, look in the gym mirror. <laughs> It'll be really weird there, but it's still cool. Um, or your rearview mirror and just tell yourself, say, I love you and, and insert your name. Don't say my name because it won't be as impactful. And um, just really give yourself time to mean it. Say it 10 times in a row if you have to, and then take that spirit to others today so that we can just make the world a little bit more beautiful today than it was before we started it. Okay, that's all the time we have. So from everyone here at Mental Health Association, we want to thank Christy for her connectivation training that she provided us. It's already making a big difference here at the association. And... If you want to see the Christy K. Boone Connectivation Training live at the Zero Mental Health Symposium, visit zerosymposium.org and register. Okay, that's it. Thanks again, Christy. We all love you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Now, as we always say to close out the show, go do good things.